0: When I started into the book, Karma, and you're talking about some very strict sects of Judaism and being involved in this community. And I was like, whoa, I mean, oh yeah, I don't know why that never dawned on me.
1: Everybody has it. If you say, well, my partner doesn't have it, your partner is not telling you everything, <laughs> right? Everybody has a desire that shame hides, right? And it's okay because... That's what society does for us. It takes away our identity and it conforms us to being productive human beings for Big Brother or the machine, right? If you stripped all that away, who are we in identity? It's not the car we drive, it's not the clothes we wear, it's the things that we do in the bedroom.
0: I feel like this factor gets lost, is that the consent is given until it's not. If that's in the middle of a scene, that's where it stops. everyone. Welcome to the Curious Diaries podcast. I am Layla. Well, welcome back to part two of last Saturday's episode. Today, we're welcoming back Karma and Master Joshua. Now, if you have not heard the first half of this, you have definitely got to go back and get caught up. Let me catch you up. But so far, I've been talking to Joshua and Karma, and they are in a dominant submissive dynamic. She is his submissive and he is her dominant. She's a collared sub. She's also married and she's a reporter who went in to do a story on Master Joshua where he was having some allegations leveled against him of misconduct. And I think sexual misconduct. (laughs) And so we're right in the middle of talking about that. Okay, so we're going to jump right back into that. And he's starting to tell me what had happened during that point in time. All right, here it is.
1: There was an accusation against a friend of hers for trying to renegotiate mid-scene. And that's a no-no. Once the play starts, you can't change the rules, especially if it's someone that you just met, right? If Let's say we're in our dynamic and CNC is consent, non-consent is part of our relationship. I am allowed to shift within that play space, play time, based on our agreements. But if you're meeting someone and who doesn't know and they're brand new at this and you get them into a scene, let's say you're tying them up and then you introduce, oh, can I can I spank you? After the play has started, the person's not in the space to change their permissions because one would say they're already out of sound minds because of... The experience that they're in, it can be very disorienting. So you can't renegotiate with someone once the scene has started. So anyway, this person had, uh, someone mentioned to me that they had renegotiated. Wait,
0: can I just stop you for a second? I want to clarify that. So what you're saying is that shifting to something in the middle of a scene that where you have not maybe previously discussed, discussed or that person hasn't given consent for outside of the play that you're doing right now that you can't, it's in bad form to try to enter. It's unethical. Unethical, thank you. That's the right word. To try to introduce it mid-scene.
1: Yeah, correct. So like, let's say if we're doing a flogging scene and we've already negotiated flogging, we've already negotiated proximity to the body and everything. And then once the scene has started, once the negotiation has ended and the scene has started, I can't ethically come to you and say, I'm going to introduce a cane. Or even without telling you just introducing something or introducing someone else to it, right? It's like, these are big no-go areas. So anyway, so they brought it up to me and I had asked her about him and his behavior within the community. And she said, that's all these women need is just to make an accusation and it ruins everyone. I said, but that's, I'm asking people because this stuff is important to me as a event host. I have to understand what's going on. So I'm going to ask all the questions. She got a little defensive about it. I ended up speaking to him and told him he couldn't come back and that turned out whichever way that turned out. But a week later, we were, this was my third time trying to break up with her, right? And people think like breakups are just boom, I'm done and I move on. Dissolutions of relationships, especially dynamics, aren't that easy, right? You can't...
0: No, they're not. (laughs)
1: And if you can't just walk away, reflect on that shit. Like what was missing that I could just walk away from the relationship, right? So this was my third time trying to break up with her and I had hit a wall of frustration and it was on a Sunday at a bar during football season in a college area, right? So the crowd was, the bar was packed. I had my sub, oh, I was there with another <coughs> submissive of mine, And he was waiting for me so we can go out to dinner while I was there to break up with him. So anyway, one thing led to another. I stormed out because I broke up and I left. The following morning is when she came out on social media and this, all this stuff on social media. He, first she was saying, I bit his face. And then she was saying, I, I hit her. And uh, the narrative didn't stick. She pursued the legal route. She never followed through with it. It was just to kick up the dust, right? And it worked. It worked for a period of time. So let's say this happened in football
2: season.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, no, but it was around football season. So let's say it was November, October, November. Fast forward to March, and my partner and I are doing an interview with this one. (laughs) And she's she's very defensive of the whole situation, right? Because she's been doing it for 20 plus years. She understands consent. And the dangers of the lifestyle, because this lifestyle, this community isn't any different than the other community right there's a percentage of bad actors there's a percentage of people who don't know what they're talking about there's a percentage of people who do know right The numbers don't change regardless of the community so yeah, we did an interview where she was laying out her perspectives and thoughts on me too, the importance of it, the negative impact of it as well, right the weaponization of it and very strongly in my defense, right? This is the time karma came into the scene. From March until May, I ended up breaking up with that partner. And from May until November, it was all quiet, nothing. And then November, she decided that she was in a five-year abusive relationship. <laughs> now, at this time, karma's watching it all happen. Like, and this is another realization. None of my partners today know me before when I've had no conflict in my life. This has been going on for at least half a decade where it's turned from accusations to stalking, right? Because nothing was ever founded. No one's ever pursued anything. No one's ever asked any questions. She just made the accusation and just let it take a mind of its own, right? So five years later, I'm still sitting with people, talking with them through what happened and what didn't happen. And the hardest thing to do is how do you disprove? How do you prove nothing happened? (laughs) You can't disprove something that's not there.
0: That's why it's called, yeah. It's called disproving a negative. It's very hard to do. Yeah. it's, It's very hard to do. How do you disprove a negative? Yeah.
1: In all this time, right, I've been an open book and they pay for it, right? Not only karma, but all of my partners that are related to me pay for society's inaction for truth. That's a big one. It's true, man. Yeah. It's true. We, I mean, when I'm watching, I was at an event with one of my other partners and watching people she's made friends with turn their back and walk away when I walk up is very painful, right? Mm-hmm. Because what's happening is I'm detracting from their experiences. In the same breath, it's showing these people their true colors, too, right? So it's like if these people don't have the integrity to open the door and ask, "Well, what's going on? Who are you in character anyway?" right? So it's like it's a very Yeah. It's a very lonely and isolating situation to be in, but We're working on it, right? We're pushing through things because we can't focus on the people trying to hook us and keep us down when we're all doing positive and big things. Yeah, please.
2: What it boils down, as you said, you cannot disprove a negative. As a journalist, I followed up on, I attempted to follow up on the first story. I didn't find, I was going to make a story that didn't focus on Joshua because there was already an emotional involvement there. So I can't, as a journalist in good faith, do that. I was like, okay, this this alerts me to the topic of Me Too in the BDSM scene. Let me see if I can find something on that. I went to explore it and I found a lot of greys, a lot of stuff that I as a journalist cannot use because what was... Uh, Posted as abuse turned out in many cases be like a misspoken word or a miscommunication during a scene or a just like, oh, he gaslighted me. What the hell is gaslighted? Is that is not, you disagree on your version of the truth that welcome to the world. He's not. (laughs) So a lot of kind of amorphic stuff. And I said, like, okay. I don't know Joshua, yes or no. I'm going to put that on ice. I don't know him well enough yet. He has no proof. She has no proof. He has no proof. There's nothing I can do as a journalist. Personally, I'm interested. I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go see for my own if he is a good or bad person. Gut feeling he's a good person, but I'll put myself on the table and see (laughs) see what happens. What happened next was once he broke up with his partner who defended him at the time and spoke up and said, oh, that's all bullshit. She pretty much took the template of what the first partner did and repeated it. Kind of did all the actions. She corroborated. She wrote a complaint that corroborated. The same one of almost, (laughs) almost like she was reading from the first one and then she ticked off all the boxes to corroborate it. However... To look at the bigger picture, what I see is politics. I see, standing here as a journalist, I see a world that is not yet part of LGBTQA per se. It's trying to form. It's in its almost their stages, but it's tribal. It's groups of people. It's clicks bonding with clicks. Yeah. And kind of, and each click has its, frenemies and it's friends and it's enemies and this guy does not he doesn't really he's a maverick right he doesn't as many friends as he makes he, he makes enemies too because he doesn't do much of the buttering lying social niceties stuff and whenever there's an enemy that is made or somebody said something that wasn't pleasant soon after some form of accusation rises so i see that and what he said about paying the price i'm out there with this book And I am, uh, the book was meant to clarify it. It's also a target, but the book was meant to. So if anybody says, anybody could go after me too, right? These enemies who who went to such an extent to ruin a reputation. But the book was my way of being a reporter without having to confirm to, I could never get that story out. It was too controversial, right? The side of the defendant, to say a person accused of rape and abuse who is a dominant and who BDSM is, is, I couldn't get that story out because at the time it would have ruined my career. I wrote for a conservative outlet. And I felt
0: that that story is important. Quite frankly, I don't think a lot of people want to hear that story. They want to hear the Me Too story. And that was what was going on. They don't want to hear, because again, you put BDSM and Dominant in the same sentence and people aren't thinking, okay, well, he's actually the one. That's not, it's not true. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, he's the big
2: bad wolf, right? He's like the automatic bad guy. That's kind of the narrative, right? So,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: That's one of the major reasons I took the risk, the personal risk as a married woman, right, who's still married, who has an agreement with her. It's just that all this is still happening within a marriage that is an alive and delicate situation, right? That's why I took this risk to publish the book, because that aspect of things should be heard. But I couldn't do it as a journalist. And nobody would take that story if, <laughs> if it wasn't for right. I mean, nobody would take that story. No publication would take that risk.
0: Yeah, I get it. Well, I appreciate Thank you so much. I mean, I just appreciate it. My intention, of course, is not to re that up. I mean, at some point, I know you're probably just like, geez, enough. I want this to be in my rearview mirror at this point. But I do uh, really appreciate you, Joshua and Karma, you know, just speaking about it because it was hard for me to have you on and not ask about
1: it. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate this for the question because a lot of people don't ask. And that's where the danger lies is is misinformation or the absence of information. And people just choose their own decision. They make their own decisions, own narratives around it. So I really appreciate it around the inquiry. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I just wanted to give you the opportunity just to speak on it. For what it's worth, I go with my gut and I believe you. I'm looking at you and I believe that... uh, That's big for him. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, it's... And I've always been an open book. It's... And it does kick things back up, right? But believe it or not, like this is... This, five years later, happens once a week, still. I have people calling me from across the country, Joshua, do you know this person? This is what they're saying. And it's like, (laughs) yes, I know this person. And they're a fucking scumbag and they won't ever share the same space with me because they know they can't speak that with my presence. Right? It's like Anyway, it's a harsh reality, but it's reality.
2: Right. Uh, That's brave. It's brave of you to pick it up. Kudos.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, like I said, I just wanted to put it out there. And I've said I just speak my mind on this show. And I've said many a times like without look, I know people experience trauma and people are raped. And I don't want to take away from the legitimacy of any of that ever, ever, ever. And growing up as a woman, I know the creepy shit that people do. And I think there's a whole generation of women that have been me Too to some greater or lesser degree. Right. But I have said on the show too, it's like sometimes I'm like, some women haven't been me tooed enough, if you ask me, because they need to pull up their big girl panties and put a backbone where their fucking wishbone is, you know? And <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> To me, this just made me, those experiences, and again, this is not, when I say me too, I just want to clarify, like, nobody has ever physically assaulted me. So that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about in the workplace, the, you know, the good old boys
1: club. and All the harassment.
0: All the harassment.
1: Because I was, I was talking about this yesterday. Women, I don't know a single woman that has not gone through that in my life at all. It's crazy. And no, no one talks about it. It's like a surprise when people, it's like every woman I know in one degree or another has had to go through this. And it's absurd. It's crazy that we make it sound like it's here and it's over there and it's not so frequent. It's like everyone all the time.
0: All the time. And that, I feel like that's what made me better. It made me faster, more intuitive. I could see it coming. I'm like, okay, just taught me so much. Instead of being the victim in that scenario, I would find ways to turn it around and be better from it. And so that's the message I just kind of want to bring on that stuff. It's like, you can let it be a real good lesson and move past it. But anyway, okay, so I was really surprised when I started into the book, Karma, and you're talking about some very strict sects of Judaism and being involved in this community. And I was like, whoa, I mean- Oh, yeah. I don't know why that never dawned on me. It makes a lot of sense, though, especially I know you, there was some reference to the Hasidic Jewish culture. And so, which again, that just blew me away. And so, can you describe the different types of people that flock to BDSM? Because I want to sort of like, let's blow the lid off it so people don't just think it's just weird creepers like hiding in the shadows. Because I feel like people either think it's like weird creepers hiding in the shadows or it's what they saw rich billionaires from Fifty Shades of Grey. So, can I answer that one? Yes, absolutely.
1: Because I've been producing a for about uh, 10 years. And um, you have all walks. It's everyday people. You have teachers, nurses, doctors, lawyers, students, everywhere, every type of person shows up. The religious folks, specifically from the Hasidic community, the anonymity or the desire for anonymity is really high. Like very rarely will you find two Hasidic folks in the same space because the community is so tight. Oh, wow. They don't want to be seen by anyone else, right? There's a huge level of shame it's like the more religious you are, the more shame that comes with you and the more need for secrecy and anonymity. The event that she, the, the roundtable discussion that she had attended was one of our largest attendant roundtables. was about 30 people. And we had pastor. we had a person who's a pastor, right? All representations of religion. I've been through conventions, I've been doing conventions for about the same amount of time, maybe a little less. And you have priests who are hosting classes around faith and journey. There's all types of people. Catholic priests. I work with a Catholic priest. He's, he's been a priest for 40 years. I'm 43. He's been he's been doing it since I was three years old, right? And uh, wow, everyone has some. Everybody has some. If you say, "Well, my partner doesn't have it," your partner's not telling you everything, <laughs> right? Everybody has a desire that shame hides, right? And it's okay because that's what society does from us. It takes away our identity and it conforms us to being productive human beings for Big Brother or the machine, right? If you stripped all that away, who are we in identity? It's not the car we drive. It's not the clothes we wear. It's the things that we do in the bedroom. Right.
0: <laughs> right? Yes. Absolutely. I am so about that. I wish people would stop pretending that our sexuality is just like this redheaded stepchild aspect of our life. Like it's so Im- we're just driven towards pleasure and away from things that are negative on a very, very basic level. If you want to break us down as human beings and our sexuality is such a huge component, yet it has to be something you can't even talk about on Facebook. Or it's the one aspect of your life that just has to be so shrouded in, in hidden and and feel shame and it's that's why when you start working with it it's such a huge release and
2: it's like finding a whole new person inside you right because you can't it's an aspect that is so chronically suppressed that it doesn't have a chance to get daylight. That's why there's so much growth in this past because it's been so segregated and it's like somebody kept a prisoner in a basement for years and years. This is a part of your personality, a big one that can that never sees daylight if it plays by the rules. And the rules are not they're arbitrary, right? They're not rules that are based on well-being or even morality, just kind of like we don't do this, we don't I have kids. I know that Right. I see how I have to tell them you can't do this, you can't do that. That is perceived as so but I when I teach my kids, I try to make the distinction between this will not be accepted well by society. I get it. I think it's okay. It's for real. It's it's okay there's nothing wrong about it, but you should know that it's a hard Explanation to make because if a kid, like if my five year old wants to play with his penis in public while he's looking at people and doing it, I'm like, I can understand the drive, you know, <laughs> you're a little bit older.
1: <laughs> I wrote down sensation before being an astronaut. Right. At five, I was playing doctor, playing house, playing cops and robbers. It was a lot of sensory input. Rubbing my aunt's nylons was like my first experience where my body responded. Right. Before we'd had aspirations to be things, we were things. Right. And it's like what I get to watch with Karma through her journey and her trial and error, her bumps and bruises is the space she gets to hold for her kids. Right. To hold without judgment. And like she said, I see you, but society may not see you.
2: It's really hard to make them understand that, though, because just like, is that OK or not? OK, can I do it or not?
0: <laughs> like, yeah. no, you cannot do that. No, don't do that. But I get it. <laughs>
2: yeah. it's, a, it's a hard. Uh,
0: Maybe privately at home. It's OK in your room. And if you want to do that. Yeah. It's, but not, I guess out in the out subway. In don't do it on the subway.
1: <laughs> don't, don't do it on the subway. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely.
1: Do <laughs> you had mentioned CNC. Go ahead. And we didn't get to, to cover that. So CNC, yeah. CNC stands for consensual non-consent. And essentially what that means is as the dominant person, the submissive person, giving the consent for no consent means you can do with me what you'd like, right? Within the boundaries and parameters set of hard limits and stuff like that. Right. Do we neg- work in CNC? I would say... Yes and no, right? The approach that I like to have within my personal relationships is yes until no, right? And that means I can introduce things, we can push boundaries, we can explore things until we come across something that you're not comfortable with. And then you say no, and it stops. And we transition from there.
0: That's an important, I want to really, really highlight that there, because I feel like this factor gets lost, is that the consent is given until it's not. And if that's in the middle of a scene, that's where it stops,
1: and it's detrimental for a person's safety and mental well-being. Right. Right. To reframe trauma. One of the things that I like to do, there was a gentleman I was working with who, uh, he his parents were born, his father was a World War II vet. His mom was from the same era. He was a kid of the 60s. He wanted long hair, like his sisters had long hair, and like everyone had long hair. All the cool people. Yeah. His father wasn't hearing it. So they would force shave his head all the time. And he grew envious of his sisters for having long hair. And he grew a resentment for long hair. And that went into his adulthood. He met a person who they married and they allowed him to force shave their head. And that went on for X amount of years until the partner didn't want it to happen anymore, right? There was some not so good things that happened within their relationship because of the frustration around that stuff. To be denied sexual expression can lead to X amount of things. People get arrested for stealing underwear and doing dumb shit that should people have had permission, they wouldn't do it, right? So fast forward and we're negotiating, well, what could a scene look like a cathartic, release or transformative scene to where he doesn't have so much power over him and the way he reframed was framing it was a beautiful woman dressed up and is going to teasingly trim his hair to pretend like she's going to shave his head and then one day she'll shave it and his partner wasn't giving permission for it and what i realized in our conversations and this is why conversations are very important in this journey is you need information to get a framework of what's happening in the conversation, what I realized is he was just trying to get off on his fetish. And I said, if we're going to reframe this, this is how it's going to happen. I go, I'm going to sit you down in the chair and I want you to get comfortable. And I'm going to take this machine. I'm going to shave a thick patch right off your head. And that's going to jar the fuck out of you. And you have two options. You can comply or you can resist and you can say, no, stop. And then you can take the power back out of that. And then you're not traumatized because you've got the power of stopping it. right Now it's no longer happening to you, but you've had the power to say, I don't want any more and it ends. And he didn't see that difference, right? It's like there's a difference between satiating desire and feeding trauma, right? And that would have been feeding the trauma. It's like if you want a peaceful relationship with your partner, if you want to start really looking at this with a solution from a solution-based approach and not just uh, to extend what's going on, you really have to shake up what we're doing, right? So that's how this stuff can be beneficial. I personally think BDSM with the right dominant who understands what is happening should be a form of therapy, right? Just like if they have physical therapists, massage therapists, they have art therapy, right? What we're doing, in my personal opinion, don't, don't tell the therapist, <laughs> is we get the hold space unfiltered and we get to connect with the person by giving our own examples. And that's one of the most powerful things is to sit here and say, I hear you. Let me tell you a story about myself so that they can see there's a level of equality and it isn't doctor patient, right? But we're both human beings because God knows most of these therapists aren't even practicing what they preach. Sorry, Shwe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. This
1: wasn't <laughs> towards you. <laughs> but like, it's like, that's the thing is, and it's I've just learned it through this journey, but, To really connect and to really hold space and to heal and to love, just shut up and listen. Right, Just hold space for someone without responding and just let a person talk. That is like one of the most positive things we can do is just sit and listen. That's what has taught me. I've had
0: to learn that myself, (laughs) just not even through interviewing people, right? Where I'm like, really like, it's let them have their, you're really just, you got to try not to talk over them, like really hear them and connect. And uh, it's a skill. I mean, it's like, it's something that you have to really be mindful of and try to do. And especially with relationships, when people just want, they want to get out their side of it or they want to be right. and And they're just thinking about, what their next sentence is the minute that that person closes their mouth because they're not listening and taking in what is it this person's really truly trying to convey to me? And then resting on it, a lot of times I'll just personally say thank you for what you said and I'm gonna I promise to weigh that carefully. And that's my signal for I'm gonna take this in and really think about it before I respond because the response that comes out right now just may be reactionary. It may not actually be my true reaction. There's ego involved or whatever's going on. So yeah. I know what you're talking about. So I can see that you guys, there's this love here. I mean, I see it. So, and I've had this debate with other dominants and people that have come on the show and stuff and just everyone has a different way of looking at it. But there is real love between dominants and submissives, correct? How could it be otherwise? Or uh, there can be. I, I know, yeah. Yeah.
1: The people who say that there isn't, I have no idea what the fuck they're doing. I'd like, like to sit and ask.
2: I don't either. If,
1: like, well, what? Like, I'd have to ask, sit and ask. Is
2: that, is that something <laughs> from the premise of 50 that, like, you know, 50 well, Shades or I something? Think, I that think the whole... uh, sex is a replacement for... Kinkiness is a replacement for love or something? No, I don't know where that idea comes from, but it's...
1: It's an ego thing. It's a domination, dominance. Dominance can't feel. We're supposed to be stoic and... and it's our yes. way or the highway. It's all nonsense. That's all insecurity. It's
0: like, all nonsense. It's like when you meet, if, you, if yeah. you're a
1: dominant and you're listening to this and you've never bottomed and you're the type that says, I will never bottom, you need to do some reflection, right? Because what you're telling me is that you are too afraid to be vulnerable, right? Too afraid to feel, too afraid to go, oh, that feels good, right? Because... Like bottom all the time. I love bottoming because I like to feel, right? I'm a fisting bottom. Like we go at it. Like we do wild shit. We do stuff that they don't even do on <laughs> line, right? like, But that's the freedom that we. I get to express, right? Like I would go to the tantra class and you'd have the people that would do the, all right, take a deep breath and go, ah. Oh, and I'd sit on the wall and be like, look at all these fucking weirdos, man. Right? <laughs> because I I was afraid, I was ashamed to do it. <laughs>
2: there was a time where there was a period when he was like, I do this for everybody and nobody does this for me. And it was almost tragic, but he was like, nobody can do this for me because I am the one who does it for for everybody. And there was always this sort of, it put a wall between us for a long time. It was like, okay, I can only be on this side of the...
0: Yeah, that's kind of heartbreaking to hear, actually. As someone who's been a submissive, like, that's got to be heavy for you, right, Karma, to hear that? Because you're like, but I need to do for you, too, because you do for me.
2: I watched from the sidelines as this kind of opened up for him. And it did come with, with sort of like trust, right? It did come with the releasing of mistrust of the sort of like, okay, I can let this happen between us. It was a very, it was beautiful to watch him open up to it very slowly, bit by bit. And but not, and it was never anything like. Okay, now I'm gonna wear the collar, and uh, and you're gonna be the master. And it was always. I'm. A, he's always the master. I'm always the slave. And but it's sort of like let let me do this for you, right? Let me let me serve you in this way. There's a difference right. between
1: can't and won't, and. It wasn't a won't from me. It was a can't because technically, and this is a very technical, I've been doing this for so long. I'm watching and feeling your technique on me. And if I feel you're hesitating, that's going to turn me off, right? Because I need someone with confidence. But that was my own wall. How are you going to learn if you're not given the opportunity to learn, right? And that's, yeah. Where I started, I had to let it go because you can't wear the, the hat all the time. I don't want to wear the hat all the time. Like, sometimes I want to just feel. Sometimes I want to be tickled to, like, pee myself, right? It's like, because it feels yeah. good. It feels good to be the attention of.
2: And it was pretty transformative, I think. He, he was a lot more of an asshole when nobody could touch him. <laughs> but no
1: offense. <laughs> Sir. None it. <taken>. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs>
2: It was a lot more harder edges, a lot more corners, a lot more. A, a lot was of, he wound tight? I don't think so. Just sort of like, uh, I mean, he gets plenty of release, I'm sure. But I wouldn't say wound tight, but I say it's a heavy load to uphold, to always try to take care of other people's needs, but never allow your needs to be taken care of. And that is something that has changed from the time I have met him. And I am very impressed and grateful and sort of at awe of that change. Because it sort of, it kind of opened him up for, to life almost. It, was, it wasn't like just about fixing other people, taking care of other people. It was the, and it made a lot of depths in his own relationship with me as well as other people possible.
1: Leading by example, yeah. Right uh, when I broke up with the ex, I was constantly talking about like cutting loose what isn't serving you more or less and up until that point she was taking everything i said with a grain of salt because she saw that anchor holding me down that i wasn't cutting loose and when i finally did it that's and that's the part in the book where she says okay not like i can follow you now right like i see you doing what you're talking about doing and practicing
0: what you preach and it looks good on
1: you yeah absolutely it looks good on you sir but uh, I think that's where the leadership comes from is trying to lead by example.
0: Yeah. What he said. What are some of your favorite types of scenes or play that you two engage in together?
1: So for all the kinky and fetish and all that BDSM stuff that, that I can do, I think the sexual energy exchange is the pinnacle of it. Right. The intimacy of sex, because it's not yeah just sex. Right. It's there's a heavy power exchange. There's a lot of primal in it and there's a lot of yeses and not a lot of no's. Right. And something that we were talking about two, yesterday, two days ago, is the spirituality in this. Right. Because one of the things that I've been trying to wrap my head around is what gives me permission with the folks that I connect with to have so much strength in that connection. Right. So much power, one would say. And what I learned from listening to her is in the space that is created I allowed a person to be their full selves, unfiltered. And that is a bonding and healing experience in and of itself to say, this is who I am and I'm okay. There's a spiritual connection to to the vulnerability attached to that, right? A bonding of... They see me and I'm okay.
2: There's something about sexual subjugation, I'd say, is is my... <laughs> when it comes to all the various BDSM activities we could be doing, none. Because anything that comes in between our bodies is a hindrance for me. Because that's just not what... Just like, okay, let's get on. That's not the part that I'm most interested in. And yeah, within our sexual connection, which is kind of intense, what the play that... Is most interesting for me is subjugation, as in use me. Just, I don't want to make any decisions for my own benefit here. I want to be a tool of your satisfaction.
0: Oh my God, I totally get that. (laughs) Holy shit. Yes. It's so, oh, it's the best.
1: (laughs) Really? It is, isn't it?
0: (laughs) No, I'm like, oh, it's something It is. (laughs) No,
1: it's it's a very... Oh, my God. It's really intense. (sighs) If you don't know it, like, you don't know it.
0: It's hard to explain if you don't know it, what that feels like in this moment (laughs) that I'm the only one that can give him what he needs right now in this moment. And so much of my pleasure is derived from that. And it's not one-sided, though. It's just, it's mutual.
1: It's like my favorite position is missionary (sighs) because I get to look at you in the eyes (laughs) while I split you in half. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. <laughs> yeah, you said that on air. So. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I'm, okay. Yeah.
0: I'm okay with it. But <laughs> I'm like, we can say this. The, we can say this stuff on my podcast. Okay. Yeah, I, there's no filters here. Yeah, no filters. Yeah, no. I know that's the best. It's also, there's a lot of permission in it, right? Because I can
2: look at him and kind of tell by his, by what he says or by his tone of voice. He doesn't have to tell me be like this, right? But I can tell kind of by his vibe, his trust, who he's imagining me as, right? And kind of fill those, sh- like, you know, that little, uh, anime character or the hentai character being the little anime virgin being split open by a space alien with eight arms. You know that those uh, <laughs> those cartoons? Yeah. And I can tell by the look in his eyes, that's who he wants to be right now. Right. And I can so easily fall into that part. And it's not role play. It's method acting. It's not like, uh, oh, I'm a virgin. Ah, You know, it's not like I'm putting on some kind of clothes. I get to experience that. Because he wants me to experience that. And giving him what he wants is kind of, it's in the book. I mean, I, very <laughs> early on, he's like, what are your fetishes? What are you into? You have a foot for I'm like, The only fetish I can see is, is a you fetish. I just want to yeah. do whatever
0: turns you on. So that's it. I've been there, sister. <laughs> I know that feeling. Oh, it's so much fun. Yes. So you know what I love, in my opinion, just I love what I love about the whole BDSM is I just feel like BDSM, the cornerstones of a good BDSM relationship are the same cornerstones that Vanilla wishes it could be like Mm -hmm. they're striving towards. And I just wish more people understood that, that the dynamic just demands this communication and this honesty and all these things. And it's really going to, if you don't have that, it's going to be exposed a lot faster. I mean, just like, what are some of the specific things about BDSM that you feel are directly, someone might be surprised if they're just totally vanilla, they don't know anything about this, that would be similar to the types of relationships that they're having?
1: The level of open now. and this is, this is the double-edged sword, right? Because you come in, once you see the level of communication that's happening, you fall into the belief that everyone is doing it with positive intent. And ultimately what it is, is the use of vocabulary and language to access vulnerability within each other, right? And if a person is smooth with their words, you can have a bad actor with good v- vocabulary do bad things.
0: That's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that
1: up. Another part of it is when people come in, they realize at some point how much they don't know about themselves, right? And the amount of homework that they didn't do or haven't done about themselves or for themselves, with themselves. When you do come into this lifestyle, things that you learn... Regardless of how bumpy it can be, you do learn what communication is and you do learn what it means to either feel seen and heard or not feel seen and heard, right? A sharp contrast. But if you're not paying attention, all this is going to seem like standard stuff because this is what happens everywhere. Right? I'm either seen and heard here and I'm not seen and heard there. And you start to build your life and your expectations around the contrast that life is giving you without realizing that you can take an actionable step to it. Right, When you realize that you expect something that isn't enjoyable, you can say, I'm done with this and move on. The issue is in our vanilla lives, as I put in air quotes, we're not used to doing that because we have toxic family, we have toxic friends, we have toxic workplaces that we're just not comfortable cutting and moving. What this lifestyle also can show you is the power of yes and no but you have to be here actionable, willing to say, I don't know and I'm ready to learn and learning what intuition is because I think the gut instinct is the sharpest, one of the sharpest tools in the shed, but we don't follow it enough because we're using guidelines given to us by society that don't work, that continuously fail, that fail us in contrast of what we know to be true within ourselves, but we don't have permission to access it because who taught us how to do this? No one, no one taught us how to do this. No one taught us how to have relationships. No one taught us how to speak up for ourselves. No one told us anything aside from our examples that we've had from our parents, our family, and the internet. Or HBO before the internet, right? So it's like you realize how much you don't know and how much you need to know about yourself.
2: If the question was the question, uh, what would vanilla people find most surprising or what would... uh uninitiated find most just, uh, surprising about about the BDSM lifestyle was that the question
0: yeah just the similar the context of the, you know how relationships are that there's just a lot I think there's more similarities than there are differences quite frankly but people just think because it's the BDSM label it's like what the hell is that no that's that's nothing like me
1: they don't even think it can exist like I don't mean to jump my friend who was visiting sat here and cried when they saw the level of communication that was happening that people don't even know is real.
2: They yeah I, Well, the first thing that surprised me about BDSM relationships that I did not think is that there are inherent assumptions about life that you don't know that you have, that you don't know our assumptions until they are confronted, such as a relationship is over once somebody starts a relationship with somebody new or that you can't love more than one man. Right. I mean, think about all the pop songs, all the plays, everything in life is sort of like he's in love with another woman. My life is over. Right. Our relationship is over. Right. Or I'm in love with another man. That means the end of my marriage. Right. That's so I think for me, one of the deeper understanding I took were sort of like, wait, That was, I thought of that as unmovable and as inherent as gravity, right? Right. Falling in love with another man means the end of your current relationship. But there are plenty of sets of, and now already people have a broader, you know, polyamory is a word that's thrown around a lot. So it's not that tight. But there are so much many more assumptions there about what you can and can't do or what would be the result of such and such behavior that what, BSM really taught me is sort of like you can't know that this is undoable until you do it. Try to do it. If you can't do it, it's undoable (laughs) at this point. But you can, yeah, kind of like the matrix, right? It's sort of like some rules can be bent, some rules can be broken, and some rules can't. Some rules are still always rules. But it did teach me to question facts, what I thought were facts about humans about people. And it taught me to, to see that emotions and perceptions vary widely. As in uh, the fact that my husband was not jealous for me didn't mean that he doesn't love me. However, I am a more jealous type and it comes for me. It's the shadow of love for me. You know, if I love somebody, I am like, just move. <laughs> Everybody else needs to right. move right now because I'm in love. Uh, so yeah. But I, it showed me I'm that way, but there are many other variations of people and that it could. So that was another surprising thing that to see how many variations of emotions and thoughts and mental structures and how deep these variations are. And that taught me tolerance. Right. Because I understood like, OK, the world is not how I see it. It's just that I'm specific. Everybody has their own specific view. And that is something that BDSM definitely will teach you because people have such different reactions to different things.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, what do you guys, this is my last question here. What do you want most people to consider uh, when they think about, you know, the BDSM world? I mean, what do you hope their biggest takeaway is? I,
2: publishing this book, I came across many bands, many, we can't, I mean once you you publish a book you want to advertise it right but you can't because the word BDSM is on the cover so Amazon will not promote it and neither will Google and neither will Facebook because it deals with sexuality so I call somebody and I say this is a memoir it's not porn it is a a real work observing human nature it's how could you explore se- is a gay person talking about his sexuality okay but a
0: kinky person Talking about is sexuality not okay? Yes, it is okay now because now we have a whole month to celebrate that, right? But Not yet, not yet. No,
1: the Pride Month.
0: But we're not, but Pride Month. And now it's okay. And these big companies, all these big companies that won't publish your book, Amazon will change its header for a month with rainbow colors. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Yeah, that's, so what I would want, my takeaway,
2: what I would say, what I want people to think of when they think of BDSM, think about the plus and LGBTQ, right? There is no difference between LGBTQ. It just means a different color of the rainbow. All right. It's not any part of a, it's a legitimate conversation. It's a legitimate choice. It's a it should be part of a normal part of sexuality, just or you know a more normal part of sexuality just as uh, identified
1: like given recognition yeah we
2: shouldn't have to we shouldn't have to be so ashamed of uh it's harder to define because it's attached to a bunch of be- a very diffused collection of behaviors and markers. So it's harder to say, oh, oh, these people are of these group," And it makes it harder to organize. And the community is diffused. But there's a whole bunch of things. But in essence, BDSM is LGBTQA. That's my bottom line.
1: Hmm. Yeah, first time hearing you say that. No, I, I like that. For me, is, that's a tough one, right? Because it really boils back down to the relationships that were created. Consider that aspect of your own journey, curiosities, your own. Don't leave it reliant on community because community isn't real, right? Community is boiled down to its lowest common denominator. And if you want to get back into high school, look for the community of BDSM. For your own personal journey, look inward first. Uh, The introspective work of who am I and what am I looking to explore in relationships is the question. To find others that are doing the same things you're not gonna find people like yourself. You're gonna find people that look like you. You're gonna find people of the same race, gender, orientation, all those social markers. That's not gonna be real community. Real community is going to be the people who think like you, who feel like you, who have the same goals and trajectory in life and character, right? People of the same mind frame, not the same aesthetics, not the same look. Look at the, look, there we go. Look for the soul. (laughs) Don't look for anything less. Look for the soul of the person you're connecting with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, like I got to work because <laughs> <it. laughs> that Because that's where it really lies, right? Like when you can see people beyond this, their skin and see their value as a person, that changes everything, everything.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Tell everyone where they can find you.
2: Well, you can Google. Just Google Surviving Master Joshua, the BDSM memoir of an unfaithful wife by Karma said. It'll take you to the Amazon page. If you go through Amazon, it'll be on page 90. (laughs) Or you can get it through Publishing.com. That's the publication. If you are an aspiring author in the realm of nonfiction kink, you want to talk to me. (laughs) That's about it for me.
1: Uh, For myself, uh, masterjoshua.com, kinkcollective.net, where we talk about, that's group work, education series, event promotions, things like that. You have uh, ssdce.org, which stands for Sanctuary for Spiritual Development and Consciousness Expansion. And essentially, that's the vanilla version of Kink Collective, right? And what we're trying to do there is help you self-actualize through different modalities of therapy and introspection to find the language around the life that you want to live. On social media, I can be found under Master Joshua NYC on all major social media platforms.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys so much. And anybody that missed your links, I will have those in the show notes, especially the book, Karma, so that people can easily link to it and they won't be digging around 90 pages deep. And I also want to point out that your book is a dollar until the uh, September 1st. So everybody go, over. it's worth it. Get it, download it. Of course, leave karma a lovely review about it. And I wanted to thank everybody for listening today. You guys know what my favorite thing for you to do is go to the website, com, and leave me a voicemail. I always love hearing from you. You got five minutes, let it rip, and I get back to each and every one of you personally. That's it, everyone. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Love you guys. Bye.